Bact empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Bact to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to BACKT.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Earn more with your crypto on Kava. Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that puts the power of lending, borrowing, and trading in the hands of users. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry-leading yields at kava.io today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And on the other side of the mic, we have joining us today on the show, Jan Van Eck, CEO at Van Eck. So good to have you on the program. How have you been? Oh, it's been a very busy year. And um, tomorrow I'm heading down to Miami, uh, where there's about four conferences, it seems, going on at the same time. So I think by Friday, I'll be ready for my afternoon nap. Your siesta. I was thinking about going, but I feel like there's been like seven different conferences in Miami over the past few months that I don't know if my heart can take it. And it's funny because before we turn on the mics, you were talking about how you guys kind of sit between these two worlds, obviously providing indexes and different ETFs to institutional investors, but you're trying to get a stronger foothold in the more crypto native world. That might be part of the reason why you're going to Miami to meet some of these Web3 and Metaverse founders. Tell us a little bit about the story of Vanek as it pertains to crypto and why, and whether that's the case, whether you're heading down to Miami to kind of get more plugged in with these types of founders. Well, I think our origin story with crypto is actually more a negative story in a way than a positive story, because I think tech people have a happy journey because they're usually the disruptors, right? They're usually making things easier and causing pain to other people. And we've kind of backed into Bitcoin because we started the first gold fund in the United States in 1968 and, and have a lot of AUM in that area. And I said, uh-oh, <laughs> maybe we're going to be disrupted in 2017. So, you know, it's been a, a trail to try to get a publicly saleable ETF or fund available in the United States so we can disrupt ourselves. But it's been a fun but exhausting journey to try to keep up with uh, all the changes that have been happening in the ecosystem since 2017. So I look forward to talking about this with you. I know. And it hasn't been an easy road over the past three years to get a fund tied to this market approved here in the U.S., I think you guys had your spot ETF rejected November 12th, but then the Bitcoin futures ETF was approved around the middle of the month. Walk us through what the debut of that product has been like. Well, we were third to market with the Bitcoin futures ETF, but it's still, and it wasn't our favorite. I think we communicated very publicly that Bitcoin futures, especially in a bull market, um, when the futures price is higher than the spot price, quote unquote, contango, that's not a positive experience for Bitcoin futures investors, but 
you know, having said that, there really is interest in the ETF more than I would have thought. Typically, third to market is the kiss of death in the ETF <laughs> industry. It's a reminder to me, I think, for those of us who've been doing this for several years, it's really early innings. There are so many people who are underinvested in Bitcoin. It's astounding. So, yes, there's two to 300 million people in the world that are invested in it, but there's still a lot of investor types, which is very early days. So it's kind of a mixed blessing. Happy to have the fund out. Happy to talk about Bitcoin publicly in the United States, but not exactly the perfect vehicle. It kind of reminds me of that famous Ricky Bobby quote, right? If you're not first, you're last. But that's not necessarily true when it comes to Bitcoin futures for some reason. Is it just because there's so much pent up demand for a spot ETF that people are willing to sort of take on the burden of Contango? You know, it's sort of what I said. I think there's a lot of investors that are concerned about inflation right now in the market, and everyone needs some level of inflation protection in their portfolio. And, you know, Bitcoin has performed way better than gold. So I think investors are still, you know, thinking about that in their portfolios and adding it if they haven't added enough before. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about inflation and affecting the financial markets. And, and, you know, Bitcoin is definitely in that inflation protection bucket that people should be thinking about. We sort of saw that play out when the CPI data dropped in the middle of the month. Bitcoin surged after we learned that consumer prices increased by more than 6% over the last year. Bitcoin enjoyed a nice little pop and it kind of supported, gave legs to that argument. But then, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, fell in line with the rest of the market over the past month or so. Does that hit the inflation narrative? Is the inflation narrative still strong? And are you seeing inflation protection funds adding Bitcoin future ETFs to their own you know, dynamic there. I say that, look, no one can kind of prove anything about Bitcoin really through statistics because it's really history isn't long enough in terms of inflation cycles. We haven't had a major inflation cycle in the last 10 years. And I really think that because of the Fed interference in the bond markets, you're in a different era. So, and the last thing is, of course, that Bitcoin, I think, is maturing as an asset in terms of more and more investors putting it into their portfolios and its risk profile changing. So that's the thing I focus on. At the end of 2017, Gabor, one of my colleagues and I wrote a blog and said, listen, Bitcoin still has a 90% downside, you know, watch out. And that, <laughs> that came out to be true in crypto winter. I don't think that's the downside anymore. I really think that you're looking at 50% maximum drawdowns from all-time highs. And that's what we saw this year. So uh, like I say, I think Bitcoin sort of trades is two-thirds a tech stock and one-third a, a store of value, but it's changing. In five years, I think it'll at least be half or, or not more a store of value in terms of its performance, but it's hard to prove on a day-to-day -day basis. And when you have big risk-on, risk-off moves like you've had you know, in the last couple of weeks, then you know everything kind of correlates together, unfortunately. What needs to happen to continue that progression from maybe one-third safe haven asset to two-thirds risk asset to maybe the other way around, two-thirds inflation hedge, one-third risk? I think it's just time. Time is on Bitcoin side. And, you know, my I'm with a lot of the major commentators, you know, Kathy Wood, Dan Tapiero, what have you, just that, you know, gold has 10 trillion of market cap. And I think Bitcoin will at least approach half of that. I think that's conservative, right? So it's got quite a ways to go. You know, what's interesting is how dramatically different the 
accessibility of Bitcoin is as well, right? So this year has been such an unbelievable year in so many dimensions, but just like one of the five major trends is all major payments companies in the U.S. now enable Bitcoin. I mean, Square, Venmo, PayPal, it's all of, it's all at your fingertips for you know millions and millions of users. And not only that, you can tip people on Twitter. So a messaging app now can use Bitcoin. So if you look backwards, you just think, oh, my God, it's ubiquitous. And then you have six mayors in the United States taking their compensation in Bitcoin with people pretty easily getting paid their compensation in Bitcoin through Strike. It's really amazing how far we've come this year. This year kind of can be described as the year of the on-ramp to a certain extent, especially with the launch of all these different futures products. Very much so. So what do you think? You know, you outline this backdrop. Payment companies are accepting Bitcoin. Mayors are taking salaries in Bitcoin, or at least trying to. I don't know how many have actually gotten their first paycheck yet. What is the beef? We've talked about it on different shows, but like to get your perspective. What is the beef with the spot ETF? Is it simply that question of market manipulation on the underlying spot exchanges that can't necessarily be examined in a proper way, or there's not cross-market surveillance that we have in equities or other markets? What's the main beef there? Well, I think there's sort of the small picture and big picture. The small picture is definitely the SEC wants jurisdiction over the crypto cash markets, which it does not have right now. And it's applying a double standard. It did not require that meaningfully for a gold ETF or a dry bulk shipping ETF or anything else. So at a micro level, yes, that's what they're asking for. The kind of macro question is why? And I think digital assets are unbelievably threatening to governments. And and I'll just take Bitcoin and you know, why did China ban it right, this year? Why is it? And I think it's a challenge to government power. And I think that's what the government is dealing with at a sort of higher level. And I think there's a really big question as to whether Bitcoin will be banned. And I think almost for some reason, the red line is this Bitcoin ETF for some reason. It just sort of fell smack dab in the middle of our industry. But I think maybe they feel like it's undoable for some reason if they do that. That's the macro reason. And I know that sounds a little vague, but you know, I like to say, well, why in 1968, when our firm launched the first gold fund, did it invest in gold mining shares and not gold bullion? And most 90% of people don't realize, well, it was illegal for Americans to own gold bullion in 1968. Uh, you could own coins, but not bullion. And, and then in 71... When that, did the first proper ETF launch? I thought, uh, I thought that it was in the, the 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. And, and, then, and then it went through, you could own bullion. And then everyone used to own it through futures contracts in the 70s. And then obviously now, over the last 15 years, it's been through bullion ETFs. Are we a little impatient in the crypto industry? You talk about this history from 1970, and then the first proper gold ETF wasn't approved till the mid-2000s. Well, I think to your, your question is, you know, why aren't they approving it? I really think it's a big threat. And I don't think the politics, I think the politics are working its way around to that issue. It's fair to say that, but I think that if you look at 2021 on a backwards basis for the industry, and it was an amazing year, in, especially in the United States. You know, we were talking about Miami, kind of is almost as a joke, but 
because China made the mining of Bitcoin and the brokerage of it illegal this year, you had this huge transfer of the industry to the U.S. or I'll call it the U.S. time zone because some of the offshore exchanges. But they, they everything used to be in Hong Kong. Uh, mm -hmm. or a lot of it used to be Asia focused. And now the U.S. is reclaiming a lot of that leadership. But the amount of development is happening so fast. <laughs> regulators, it's happening at, you know, supersonic speeds and the regulators are walking. And so the amount of development on the open source blockchain side, like I like to call it, you know, the, a lot of the other protocols is amazingly fast re relative to regulatory change in the U.S. You brought up an interesting point about the political pressure that might be behind the slow-moving SEC to an extent. Do you think that there's a possibility that pressure from the crypto lobbying force, as you have more large unicorn firms sort of take market share in payments and in tech, that they'll be able to sort of push the SEC and other agencies forward with approving such a fund, the firepower behind some of these brands, I mean, it's going to get huge. You have Coinbase, for instance, with 60 million customers. That's maybe not 60 million voters, but certainly a large chunk of the American electorate that have already given their stamp of approval on this and are going to want DC to do the same. I think you know, I, I'm not a especially skilled commentator on this point. So I think the question is interesting. The thing that I would say is policymakers often say they want innovation to happen. So I would say in a way, the SEC could be way more aggressive in pursuing the industry than it has been. You know, so, you know, it depends on your perspective, of course, you know, Coinbase not being able to do the lending product, they're not very happy about that. So particular firms could have a lot of bones to pick. But in general, I think policymakers want to be pro-innovation. And, you know, I think in, in that sense, it's really been a great year for uh, for the industry in the U.S. again, like I'd like to say. It puts a firm like Van Eck in a tough position. You want to be able to create and deliver to the market innovative products at the cutting edge in the ETF market, but you're sort of limited in that perspective to launching a spot ETF and previously a futures tied ETF. So what do you necessarily do in the meantime? You, you don't want to just sit on your hands. You want to be active in this market. I remember it was a few years ago before any ETF came to market here in the United States, you guys launched a fund for accredited type investors, which was a unique product at the time. What do you do in the meantime, to sort of gear up and everyone's gearing up, right? You know, Grayscale's come out and said they're going to work on uplifting their product at some point once they get the green light like everyone else. So what do you do in the meantime as a fund manager in this space? Well, I think, first of all, from a business perspective, stop, you know, in December of last year, to your point, right? Stop hitting my head against the brick wall and walk around it, right? So what can we do? Number one, we've offered ETNs in Europe. So we have five so far, and they've grown a lot in assets this year. Our focus has been on what I like to call smart contract protocols. So uh, we have Bitcoin, of course, but then the other four are smart contracts, you know, which we see that's number one. Number two is we want to continue to provide the tools for investors to think about how to invest in the space. And so we've categorized the top digital asset tokens and created investable indices out of those categories, smart contracts being one, I'll call it metaverse being a second. 
DeFi being a third that everyone's familiar with. And if you look at the performance of those indices this year, and they're available on Bloomberg, you can really see this was the year of smart contracts. Probably not, you know, not surprising that ETH outperformed Bitcoin, but also obviously the explosion of Solana. I think that's going to be the story of 2022 as well, is keep your eye on the smart contract tokens and their ecosystems, because people are frustrated with Ethereum's gas fees. So I just don't think that you know their market share will continue to be under attack in 2022. But it's the basis for the industry, right? So I don't there may be a shift in usage amongst the smart contracts, but I still think as an investor, that's the space to, to look at. Why are you bullish? Also, yeah, gas fees are definitely, they're antagonizing. <laughs> they, uh, they keep me up at night sometimes. Why are you bullish on the metaverse or interested in it at least? Well, I think taking a step back two years ago, we actually launched a video gaming and esports ETF, which performed very well in 2020. And it's basically, I just look at that as the next category or next innovation of social media. So if you think about Facebook and, you know, just having messages and commentary and then having flat pictures and then moving to video, you know, these are all natural transitions. It makes sense that the video will become more interactive in the sense that you can be a character in that video. I think we'll look back and go, oh, all these social media tools were so boring in 2021. And so it's just another dimension. So, you know, I think the the tokens, there's obviously going to be a blockchain challenge to the centralized video gaming companies. So I think it's a sort of a natural product evolution. And then crypto is, I, I like to think of it as the yeast of disruption for all these different categories, whether it's finance or social media. So of course it's there and of course things are moving fast. Is there a potentiality that Vanak could launch a metaverse ETF at some point? You know, uh, it, that won't happen in the US, I think for 10 years. Um, and frankly, I think a lot of the metaverse tokens are a little bit overdone right now after the Facebook announcement. So it would be the best time to launch something. But you know, again, these things are available in different jurisdictions for sure. Yeah. I guess that means I, I have to sell. I take some profit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting, right? I mean, I've kind of fell down the rabbit hole of these different virtual worlds. And I really do buy into the idea that it can be a new way to experience the internet and experience social and gaming in a way that blends finance with the way in which we spend most of our, our day in front of a screen, whether it's playing video games or sharing content on social. Why not participate in the economics of those systems that we already participate in and get no kickback from? Oh, definitely. The economic models. Right. I mean, that's what I always like to say. There's two things that interest me about you know this world. One is Bitcoin as a competitor to gold as an inflation trade. That's very different from, you know, the revolution of, you know, open source blockchain technology, which I think can disrupt many aspects of finance and and many other industries. And so I, that's why I say look at smart contracts. Because yes, there was, this was my favorite, you know, holiday question. What's the total economic value transacted on the Ethereum blockchain this year? Because there's always a family member that's a skeptic at the table. And no one guesses three and a half trillion dollars. 
But that's 2020. Now, we agree that gas fees are too high and there will be an adjustment to that. But that is just a tremendous number. And I think that the transaction volume only goes up in the next five years. I, I, I don't see that economic activity shrinking. So, you know, that's, that's why we think it's an interesting area. Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Are you ready to take your crypto earnings to the next level? Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that combines institutional grade security and user driven design. Lend, borrow, and trade your crypto all in one seamless experience. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry leading reward APYs at kava.io today. So, you mentioned you guys are starting to also invest in certain companies to use your verbiage, better understand the market. Walk us through that. Where, where have you placed some bets and, and what's the thesis underpinning that activity? Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I think what we try to do in conjunction with our clients and, and, and you and, and have a dialogue about what are the mental models to think about the space, right? So what I just said about Bitcoin being a store of value versus smart contracts and on those other categories, is a mental model that I can't really prove, but I think it's how a lot of investors talk about their investments and, and how they think about it. Having said that, at the same time, we're talking effectively just about software development. And how do you, it's, this is not 2017 when you just have Ethereum and CryptoKitties, right? This is 2021 where every major tech firm and even almost every financial services CEO I talk to is fluent, Frank, in crypto, mm. like to a level that was unimaginable two years ago, right? Two years ago, they were laughing or ignoring it. <laughs> and so how do you keep track of this unbelievable developments, right? Every week, you know, a DeFi token is coming out with an upgrade or there's a new company you never heard of doing something in the metaverse. And the way that we have found to build out our research in an accelerated manner is to co-invest with some early stage crypto firms where I would argue there's still some quote unquote value left in the ecosystem and, uh, and learn along with partners that are just closer to what's, what's happening and probably want to do that more. And we try to share a lot of that learning through our content on our website. I've got a, a colleague, Matt Siegel, that writes a blog. So it's not like we're doing it for only for our own consumption. It's just a doing it to keep try to keep a track of everything that's going on. So you're investing in in certain funds or or companies themselves? Both. 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 You know, so we're public, for example, as having invested in FTX. And that's mm -hmm. just simple. 
you know, we sell our mutual funds and ETFs through Merrill Lynch. And if these crypto exchanges are the kind of distributors of products of the future, which I think they will be, then we want them to remember us, right? And so we invested in Gemini as well. Like we're not, you know, we're not dating solely, but uh, so that that's what I would call more a strategic investment. But the early stage VC funds, you know, there's more like of a web 3.0 firm, you know, that's has links in Europe and, and South Korea and Asia. We are another in a Web3 firm that's based in Los Angeles that's heavily comes out of the gaming system. But these are small funds and, and they're not really scalable for, for our clients. They're just a way to understand the ecosystem. That's a really interesting point. The point on distribution. I guess, and I'm trying to read the tea leaves here, but your bet there is that in the future, most retail investors or consumers of financial products aren't necessarily going to get exposure to different funds through a fidelity or a traditional type of platform, but maybe through an FTX. Right. I mean, if you wanted to invest in the metaverse, why not invest? Look, the ETF industry can get disrupted. Why not invest in a token of tokens, you know, with some kind of smart methodology behind it to track the metaverse ecosystem? And you could do that. Now, the issue is now the securities laws because the token of tokens is a security. And mm -hmm. so now you're either one or the other. You're the crypto firm or your securities firm. That's changing, but not like super fast. But what we can do is, you know, what we have been doing is wrapping tokens in, in our, on our ETN platform in Europe. And we can do more of that. I'm really surprised it's going that way because that's not exactly leveraging the blockchain technology very well but you know a lot of it is just has to sit in the, in the ecosystem so you know absolutely very worried that not worried but you know it's you want to give investors experience i think the one since i'm on this uh, stream of consciousness um on etns in the crypto world liquidity is super important to etns i mean and etfs what i would almost say is yeah we offer a, a basket of securities but we also offer liquidity into trading those for institutional investors i mean our biggest etf is is gdx gold mining shares it's so much more liquid than any individual gold mining company but it takes mm market maker universe to engage, you know, that's where Sam Bankman free came from, right? They have to very much understand the liquidity dynamics of the crypto ecosystem as well. So do you think at some point in the future, you guys can devise with crypto native firms, these tokens of tokens under maybe some different unit or in some jurisdiction that would be favorable to that? Not in 2021, but you know, <laughs> at, at some point, yes. But there's a lot that you can do. I mean, there are, you know, tons of different innovative products that can be launched. It's, it's just, you know, you, you brought this up earlier on the show. It's all a matter of time. Time is a factor in all of this. And we have to, listen, we have to bring value to the table for investors because investors always can do things themselves. So they have to say, oh, is, does Vanek have an interesting, like I said before, sort of mental model? in terms of thinking about the space, you know, in terms of the different categories. And then we broke those categories up into what we consider to be more liquid and investable or not. Uh, so we are, we're, you know, we're, we're talking to investors about that and, you know, be look forward to kind of collecting all their, their feedback over time. What about the community of folks, the RIA channels and the different type of financial advisor channels? A cousin of mine is a financial advisor in Virginia. 
He's had Scaramucci in his office pitching him his products. Maybe you've you've pitched him your products. Not going to embarrass him and mention his name, but how can you pitch those channels? Because those are kind of untapped to a degree. And you know, he'll message me and he'll say, does this product look like it's right? How do you tap into those channels? Because it's really a big opportunity for so long. The upper echelons of those firms told their advisors not to pitch crypto. That seems to be changing, though. Well, it's um, yes. So, you know, the, ba- the the obvious, which is that the big established firms um, have been very slow to adopt Bitcoin and, and crypto. And the reason is they were scared of the government. I think pretty straightforward. Remember, post-financial crisis, the government was determining banks and their dividend rates and their capital ratios. And really, they moved in. <laughs> to the executive suites of these banks. Mm. And the last thing the banks wanted to do is jeopardize their other priorities for you know these perceived Bitcoin AML concerns. And so I think, you know, we talked to both what I call the converted and the unconverted about the different solutions. And I think, uh, you know, people are very accepting of Bitcoin as a gold competitor. And they, they see those two together. For the rest, they're just looking for an all-in-one solution. What's really interesting, which I think is you know obvious, but not, it's it's it can't be underemphasized, which is family offices and do-it-yourself sophisticated investors are so far ahead of their financial advisors that there's this just major disconnect. You know, mm-hmm. my my one of my favorite anecdotes of the year is just uh, listening to the Abra CEO saying, "Okay, someone's made ten million in crypto." but can't buy a million dollar house because the bank doesn't recognize that wealth, you know, as, you know, in their FICA score. And of course, the investor doesn't want to liquidate their crypto, right? They're hodlers. So it's just this real disconnect between the firms. And, you know, you see family offices, there's so much wealth that's been created. What is there, $2 trillion of wealth in the crypto ecosystem that didn't exist and it wasn't taken from anything. It's just an unbelievable amount of wealth that's that's out there and wealth advisors are they're having trouble i just simplify it this way i said listen everyone was chasing the cloud like the cloud etf what's the cloud the cloud is taking a box right and moving it from your premises to amazon's premises i mean that is not a very sophisticated technology move right it's just moving your storage to outsourcing it Blockchain is similar. It's just a database technology. We've been living with this for decades and decades, but you've liberated it because you've taken it off of your premises and putting it on the internet for everyone to play with. And that's destabilizing, but also very, very liberalizing. You made another, you keep making interesting points, unsurprisingly, but something that I've been thinking long and hard about is the fact that there is this large swath of crypto investors that are completely underserved. People who maybe became millionaires overnight, not me, but other people, and then they have nowhere to turn. They don't have financial advisors. They don't have lenders that can sort of meet their financial needs. Grayscale's parent company, DCG, as I reported, is looking out to build a kind of their own version of a wealth management firm with a slew of advisors, which makes a ton of sense to me. A crypto-native wealth management company doesn't really exist in that sense. Do you see the sort of two worlds ultimately meeting together or or is is there going to continue to be that gap? 
I'm a ma uh, blockchain maximalist, I guess I would say. So I, I think the winners will be the DCGs of the world. If you look at Coinbase and compare it to NASDAQ, right, as you kind of indirectly pointed out, Coinbase has a bigger market cap. And that means the market is giving it better credit that it can innovate and sell its customers. It's not valued the way it is because it makes these overpriced margins on trading mm. Bitcoin, right? Everyone knows those are going to shrink over time. The bet is that they're going to be able to offer a whole bunch of other financial services to their 60 million clients. And that's really the, the, the narrative. And I think they have the clients, they have the assets. So it's just up to them to roll out the products and services to convert that over time. And I, I give them a way better chance compared to an old line commercial bank in the US that's very heavily regulated in any way. <laughs> like it's dramatic for them to offer a product, a, a fund, right? A fund, that's what they, they have thousands of funds. One more fund is not game changing, you know, compared to the kinds of products and services the real-time risk modeling, all the kinds of things that a DCG or Coinbase can offer. I think that's where they're going to be the winners. I want to bring it back to the spot ETF as we kind of wrap things up. I guess I'm just kind of interested in what comes next post-rejection. Were you surprised by the outcome? Uh, personally, I mean, no. I mean, the, the odds were against it. I think that I was maybe slightly more optimistic than others because of just the context around this, they had allowed a Bitcoin futures fund. So it wasn't some existential issue. And, um, you know, there wasn't a political backlash to that. To your point, the politics of crypto are very interesting. And, you know, we could have a separate podcast on that. And as I said, I'm not an expert, but just observing it, right? You had a Republican and Democrat write the SEC the week before saying they should approve this fund. Trust me, that's never happened in my career where a politician is, you know, advocating. They're helping you do your they're helping you do your advocacy. I wish I wish I could, you know, they could be influencers for us, but right. So um anyway, the commission formally is going to review this decision in the next several weeks. Um I doubt they'll they'll review it. But let's put it this way. In, in what you see um is that a lot of crypto ETF firms will file for a fund and then pull the filing. Mm. And they pull a filing because they're told to pull it or because they knew they wouldn't get approved. This time we let the clock run out. We said, okay, we think we're close enough. We've put our best you know, case on the table. You know, Just give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So I guess we'll be back, but um, we wanted to kind of get their, their updated opinion in writing. So is there anything that you feel like the rejection offers that you can shore up or do you feel like the finish line was, you know, moved away from you to an extent? What it comes down to, to me, is it's a little bit of a negative phrasing, but how do they handle the, uh, the double standard that they apply to Bitcoin as opposed to other commodity products? I mean, you know, no shortage of commentators have said, listen, you want surveillance over cash Bitcoin, A, that is, you know, contradictory to what you required for a gold bullion ETF, which has tens mm -hmm. of billions right? A dry bulk shipping uh, where the mm -hmm. data comes from the shippers themselves, right? So this whole surveillance of the cash market is, is a requirement that you haven't required before. Uh, don't you want to apply the same standard or rules uh, to everything that you do? You don't just make ad hoc decisions based on, on how you feel or what, what the whims are at the time. 
you know, I, I don't know how persuasive that's going to be. Um, you know, to the SEC, it's it survived two administrations, so they just may be they may be stuck with it. But what you know, there's so the context of regulation is so interesting. There's so many other issues that, frankly, I think are are fascinating. The treatment of stable coins. Right. Mm. And, and should they be money market funds? DeFi, you know, there's been this sort of crackdown on DeFi. But, you know, is that going to really go away? No, because the total stake value <laughs> continues to climb. Right. So there's much bigger problems than that the SEC has than a Bitcoin ETF, which everyone agrees is not a security. We'll see. I mean, that's the that's the uh, thing we're holding our breath for. Jan Van Eck, I appreciate you coming on the show. This was so much fun, but we'll have to have you back on. So excited for the success that you guys have seen and can't wait to see what comes out of the firm next. Well, thanks and congrats for all you all are doing because there's so much education and discussion that's needed in in the area because change is so rapid that uh, I really appreciate your efforts and it was an honor to be on your program. Where can our listeners learn more about what you guys are doing? Uh, well, our website, vanek, V-A-N-E-C-K.com, has a lot of our content and I'd look for Matt Siegel's uh, digital asset content in particular. He talks a lot about basically how crypto is cheaper than a lot of traditional financial institutions, and that's why it's it's disruptive. And then I'm on Twitter at Jan Van Eck uh, number three. So it's Jan Van Eck three. I guess I was late to the Twitter game. <laughs> <laughs> but not late to the Bitcoin ETF game. Yeah, I list, I list, you know, I don't tweet a ton, but I do share my thoughts on there or, or LinkedIn as a way to communicate. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts here on The Scoop. We will talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you again with another great guest like Jan soon. Take it easy.